Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Let's turn there together in the New Testament. Colossians chapter 1, I'll be reading verses 24 through 29. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is the word of the Lord. Growing up in the decade that I grew up in, every weekday at 4 p.m., it didn't matter where I was or what I was doing, my mother would call me into the house because Scooby-Doo was on. I loved Scooby-Doo. If you're not familiar with Scooby-Doo, an anthropomorphic dog and four ambiguously aged cartoon characters go around solving mysteries. And in the end, they figure out who the evil person is by ripping off their mask. And they say, I would have gotten away with it if it hadn't been for you meddling kids. Well, over the years, I graduated from Scooby-Doo to Agatha Christie, to Sherlock Holmes, to Law and Order, to CSI, and all that variety of crime and mystery shows. And what I grew up understanding was that a mystery is a crime to be solved or some kind of dark secret that somebody doesn't want you to uncover. The mystery is shrouded in fear and uncertainty. So when Paul speaks in verse 26 of the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, I wonder if we understand what he means by the word mystery. Maybe not. If you're thinking like me of a dark secret or a hidden crime, mystery is not that. Instead, when Paul speaks of a mystery in these passages, we should understand it as God's secret surprise. A mystery in this case is a secret surprise, typically a good one. Like if you were to have walked in this morning and there in the lobby was a giant tarp or sheet covering something. And you're wondering what it is, but the, the deacons are blocking you so you don't come in and touch it and peek under the sheet. And as you come in, I'm telling you, oh boy, do I have a surprise for you today. Chocolate fondue fountain, you know. But I don't tell you what it is. It's hiding under the sheet and through the whole service, you can't stop thinking about that and wondering what is the secret surprise or a child on her birthday seeing in the pile of presents one large gift wrapped and hidden, and she just can't help but wonder, what is it, what is it, I can't wait to open it. That is the mystery of God. His secret surprise that he has been working on and keeping just out of reach, just out of understanding for thousands of years, now revealed 
revealed to be his church, his people. Now, the Colossian Christians, the Colossian church that Paul is writing to, thought that there might still be more, that God might have some still hidden secrets, some hidden path, some mystery that that somebody else knows about and still needs to tell us. And so we have to practice some special prayer or some special diet or some special thing that we do to learn the secrets that God still has hidden from us. Have you ever felt that way or heard such notions that, oh sure, yes, I know you, you believe in Jesus and you read the Bible, but that's not all there is to it. There's there's a secret you need to learn. There's a code you have to unlock. Support my ministry and I'll tell you what it is. But Paul is warning the Colossians and us, and he's encouraging the Colossians and us, that through the church, God has revealed, fully revealed, his amazing plan for history and for the world. And in these verses, we see that that mystery is revealed by God's power. That mystery is revealed through God's word, and that mystery is revealed in God's grace. So let's first look at how the mystery is revealed by God's power. Because two paragraphs before this one in Colossians, we were up in the cosmos. We were seeing Jesus as the one who created the universe and the one who holds every molecule of the universe in place and makes it work the way it's supposed to work. Then the next paragraph that we looked at last week zoomed in a little bit and showed that the plan of this supreme cosmic deity is to bring his enemies home and turn them into his children. But now Paul zooms in even more, taking that message of salvation from the God of the universe and bringing it to you. Specifically here, he's talking to the Colossians. And because in His perfect wisdom and in His love, the God who made all things has determined that the way that this sovereign cosmic universal plan to reconcile His enemies and make them His children, the way that's going to be carried out and brought home is through men and women proclaiming the message of Jesus. That's what Paul has in mind in verse 24. He says, In my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. When Paul says that something is lacking in Christ's afflictions, he's not saying that somehow the death of Jesus wasn't enough to save us. He's not using a word lacking that means insufficient or inadequate. He's using a word that describes something that isn't finished yet. It hasn't gone all the way that it plans to go. The work of Christ is definitely, fully, completely enough to purchase all of His children and to save them. But that message needs to reach them. It needs to get to them. It needs to be heard, believed, and acted upon. And so in Romans 10, Paul says this, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone, that's the sufficiency. The sufferings and work of Christ are enough so that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then he goes on and says, but how are they going to call on someone that they've not believed in? And how are they going to believe in someone of whom they've never even heard? And how are they going to hear without somebody preaching it to them? And how are they going to preach unless they are sent? 
So bringing the gospel to those who still need to hear and respond. The work of building them up in the faith and teaching them how to live out the gospel. That is continuing the work of Christ. But in Paul's case, and in most cases throughout history, and even throughout the world today, the work of telling about Jesus and the work of building up His church is not easy and it very often involves suffering. Paul notoriously suffered greatly for the sake of building up the church. And God's people for thousands of years have suffered and bled and died for the sake of fulfilling the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations. And yet, in verse 24, Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. He's not some twisted mental you know, joy and wanting to feel pain. No, he doesn't enjoy the pain itself, but he delights and rejoices because he knows what that suffering will produce. Paul probably has in mind something that is called the messianic woes. Woe, W-O-E-S. Woe is me. The messianic woes. It was a belief around the time of Paul that when the new age of the Messiah, the Christ, began, when the Christ returned to earth to reign and to rule and rescue his people, it would begin first with pain and suffering and affliction and woe both for the Messiah who would suffer, but also for his faithful people who would suffer until his plan was complete. But on the other side of that suffering and that woe was joy unimaginable. This might be something like what Jesus was talking about just before he was arrested. In John 16, he said to his disciples, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Or one time when Paul was assumed to be executed, having preached the gospel in a town, they didn't like it so much that they stoned him and beat him to death, they thought dragged his body outside the city and left him there, dead, or so they thought. But God helped him rise up and crawl his way back into the city and rejoin the disciples. And as he gathered around with the people of God, rather than despair, rather than lament, look what he did in Acts 14.22. He strengthened the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying to them that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. It's not an easy peasy lemon squeezy thing to enter the kingdom of God and be built up in your faith. There is opposition, there is affliction, and there is struggle. So the suffering, the afflictions, the rejection, these are not failures of God to protect His people, and they are not punishments on God's people for failing to have enough faith. No, when God's people struggle and suffer on account of His name, these are the marks of belonging. They are marks of belonging. Just as Peter says in 1 Peter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, 
as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So when we see in Colossians that Paul rejoices in his sufferings, we are called to do the very same thing when we suffer for the right thing. I'm not talking about suffering because someone disagrees with your political views or suffering for bad choices that you made and now you're facing the consequences or suffering because you're kind of being a jerk to somebody and people are responding to that or suffering just like everyone else in the world suffers. No, we're talking about rejoicing in suffering that's the result of being faithfully obedient to what God calls you to do. And when his servants are faithful, here's the power of God at work. Verse 29, for this I toil, Paul says, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. It is as God's people suffer and struggle, God gives them his power, his strength to obey. So my sisters, my brothers, whatever service God calls you to in his kingdom, whether it's being faithful in prayer giving up something that you love in order to be obedient to the Lord, investing time that you would rather spend on something else, serving others who need it. Whatever it is God calls you to do out of obedience, don't worry that you can't do it. That's not an option for a child of God to say, I can't do it because you can't. I mean, you can't, but it's not you that does it. Your strength is never enough. You struggle with all his energy. And God's energy is always enough to do the work that God wants his children to do. So when you are doing the work of God, when you are loving his people, serving his church, obeying his commands and building his kingdom, it's his energy, his power, his strength at work. Just as we saw a few months ago in Zechariah chapter 4, the Lord promises to his people as they obey, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit says the Lord of hosts. And so the mystery of God, the secret surprise that is now revealed and is being revealed, is revealed by His power, not ours. The next thing we see is that it's revealed through God's Word. Despite all opposition and suffering and struggle, God's power works through His people to proclaim this mystery. And then Paul talks about how specifically it's revealed and proclaimed. Verse 25, he says, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. There are many, many things that the church is called to do. Many ways that we serve one another and many ways that we reach out to people in need and to our community to serve them. Many ways that we try to make a difference in the world. But what lies behind all of those things we do and what is the foundation of all that we build is the Word of God. And Paul says that his job is to make the Word of God fully known. Keyword, fully. There's a quote, I tried to track down who said it, but I was never able to. And Maybe I just heard it somewhere, maybe I made it up, I don't know. But it goes something like this, any fool can find a verse in the Bible to support his argument. Anybody no matter what they believe, 
can find a verse, a phrase, a line in the Bible that they can use to justify and argue for their case. The Bible is rich with wisdom and knowledge, and you can easily take a verse, a story, and use it to support your argument. But simply finding a line in the Bible that seems to agree with you and saying, look, the Bible says, is not enough. Because Scripture can be abused and misused in that way, and for thousands of years has been abused and misused to justify inconceivable things. So when Paul was giving his farewell speech to a church that he had served for three years, in Acts 20, he said these words, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God, the whole counsel of God, all of it, not just the parts that are easy to understand, Not just the parts that people are going to readily accept and like to hear from me. Not just the parts that suit my own purposes and my own agenda. We need to preach and to learn, to teach and to obey the whole counsel of God. Because everything God wants us to know, everything God wants us to know is shared in His Word. He has not withheld anything that we need which might seem like an odd thing to say in a sermon or a text that's all about the mystery, the secret surprise of God that has been hidden for ages past. But that's exactly Paul's point. If we would know what God wants us to know, it is now presently all revealed. And he makes that clear by preaching fully the word of God. It's not like my grandmother's chili recipe. Okay? My dad's mother made a wonderful chili. And my dad grew up on that chili and he loved it. And then he got married. And my mom did not come from a culture that made chili or anything like that. You know, she made kibba and grape leaves and laha mishwa and stuff like that. So she went to her mother-in-law and said, can you teach me, can you give me your recipe for your chili? Because your son really wants me to make this chili for him. And so she gave her the recipe. She said she gave her the recipe. She left out one thing. And my mother didn't know that. And she made it. And my dad said, it's just not as good as my mom's. Men, never, ever, ever say that to your wives. But my dad did. And she said, well, let me try again. Next time she made it, he said, you know, it's just, it's not as good as my mom's. And so my mom gave up until the day that her mother-in-law came to visit. And my dad said, mom, can you please just make your chili? My wife can't get it right. Again, not something you want to say. And so she made it, but didn't want anybody in the kitchen. And my mother sneaked a peek and saw there were ingredients not in the recipe. Okay? Why do I tell that story? Because the Colossians, and at times our own hearts, think that God has withheld a secret ingredient. God has not told us everything we need to know. And we have to go follow this leader. We have to read this secret book. We have to invest in this ministry. We have to practice this certain discipline or ritual if we're going to know the secret ingredient that God has withheld from the recipe. And Paul says, no. No. We have made the Word of God fully known to you. We have held nothing back. Now that doesn't mean that in God's Word we find everything we might want to know. 
No, it's everything we need to know. God tells us in Deuteronomy 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. There are things God has not and will not tell us because we don't need to know. And it's not worth us speculating and trying to imagine and figure out the reasons behind certain things or the way certain things work. What we need to know, God has fully revealed to us. Why? In Deuteronomy 29, that we may do all the words of His law. The reason God reveals Himself fully, sufficiently to us through His word is so that we can know Him and know how He wants us to live. And so Paul says that in revealing the mystery of God through His word, this is what he does in verse 28 of Colossians 1. We proclaim Him, Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Warning and teaching. Warning. The Bible shows us how we are wrong and warns us. Teaching. The Bible points us to how we need to grow, who we need to become. Warning us and teaching us. Now listen to this for what many of you is a familiar passage of Scripture. Listen to this passage with that thought in mind. 2 Timothy 3. All Scripture. All Scripture. Leviticus, yes. Obadiah, you bet. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So, woman of God, man of God, don't be deceived into seeking after what you need to know about God's will and His way and His plans in any other source except what He has already fully given you in His Word. It has all you need to know. Invest your time and energy in allowing the Word of God to be made fully known to you, for that is how the mystery is revealed. So we've seen that the mystery is revealed by God's power. It's revealed through His Word, and lastly, it's revealed in God's grace. God gives His people the power to proclaim His Word in order to reveal this mystery, but when it comes down to it, what does the mystery reveal? Verse 27, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. First off, that word Gentiles is the exact same word in Greek that we at other times translate nations. Exact same word, different translation based on the context in the New Testament. Sometimes they say the nations, sometimes they say Gentiles. In the mind of a Jewish person in Paul's day and in all the Old Testament, there were two kinds of people in the world. Israel, the Jews, and the Gentiles. Only Israel among the nations of the world were God's people. If you were a Gentile, one of the other nations, as almost probably everybody in this, almost everybody in this room would be, you were an outsider to the family of God. God's covenant was with Israel. God's word was given to Israel. God's promises were for Israel. His salvation was for Israel. And it's the people of Israel that were the sons and daughters of God. So when the Messiah, when the Christ came, he would rescue Israel. And when the Messiah ruled the universe, 
the people of Israel would be with Him in glory. But what God does for us through Jesus is something far greater than anyone ever imagined. God's plan, the mystery long hidden but now revealed, was to bring salvation not just to Israel, but to the nations, to the Gentiles. In Ephesians, Paul says it this way, Ephesians 3, the mystery is this. He says it a lot more clearly in Ephesians. The mystery is that the Gentiles, the nations, are fellow heirs, members of the same body as Israel, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This is a revealing of God's tremendous grace. And I I want you to understand that when we're talking about God's grace to the Gentiles, I'm speaking to almost every individual in this room who is not a direct, verifiable descendant of Abraham. You're a Gentile. This is for you. The nations, the Gentiles, had not served and followed God. They had not kept His word. They had not studied His law. They had not performed the sacrifices. Israel was the older brother who had stayed close to the father while the nations, the prodigal son, had gone off and lived recklessly. Israel was the worker that had toiled all day in the hot sun and yet received the same wage as the one, the nations who showed up at the last minute to get the same blessing. If anyone deserved the favor of God, it should be Israel, right? Or so they believed. But the mystery of God is revealed in God's grace. Because of the grace of God, the people we don't imagine should be blessed will receive blessing from God. Paul says the mystery is this in verse 27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let's dissect that here. Christ in you. English does not have a second person plural pronoun. So if I may, with your permission, I'm going to say Christ in y'all. The hope of glory. He's not saying in you individual. He's saying Christ in you all. Christ among you. The nations, the Gentiles, the outsiders, the ones who should not have received God's blessing. Christ is in you. Inconceivably so. Unbelievably so. Graciously so. Christ in you all is the hope of glory. Glory is what we are told to expect and wait for as believers. In, later in Colossians verse, chapter 3, verse 4, Paul will say, When Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with Him in glory. But why glory? Why, why do we expect glory? Don't we sometimes sing, To God be the glory? Didn't the Reformers stand firm on the idea of soli deo gloria, to God alone be the glory? Well, yes, but your glory is God's glory. Let me explain that. Years ago, when I lived overseas, uh, there was um, an art show on campus. And one of the art professors at my university, wonderful, amazing sister in Christ. I mean, profound, wonderful, wise, uh, bold, outrageous uh, evangelist for the gospel and managed to have a job as a professor at a Chinese university as an art professor. And she said, hey, Rob, you really have to check out this art show that I'm having my students do. Anything beyond stick figures impresses me. I have no skill in the visible arts. 
But I said, okay, fine, I'll, I'll go check it out. And, and she brought me in, and I, I went in a door and followed through and looked at all the items on display. And it's mostly sculpture and large works. And it just looked really interesting. And things were, I mean, they were really beautiful, far better than I could ever do. And I, I really tried to take the time to appreciate and study them and, and got to the end and found out I'd come in through the wrong door. I came in through the exit, which meant that I didn't know the story of these pieces. And when I got to the end, she said, Rob, turn around and go through it again. <laughs> and so I turn around and there's a sign. The title of the show was Redemption. And the explanation was that every single item used in these artworks was pulled out of a trash can. Everything. And that blew my mind because walking through the first time, I had no idea. These items of trash had been reclaimed and redeemed and refashioned and transformed into unrecognizable beauty. The trash from my campus was transformed. And so as I went through it again, it didn't mean that the trash itself was worthy of praise. But the glory of the trash gave glory to the artists who had transformed trash into beauty and treasure. God's grace works so powerfully in me and you that He does the same thing. God's grace takes the money-obsessed, selfish person and turns them into someone who is generous and who is content with what they have. God's grace takes an anxiety-ridden, fearful person and makes them bold for the gospel. God's grace takes the self-centered, hurtful person who wounds with their words and makes them into a caring, nurturing, loving person who gives life when they speak. God takes trash and makes it art. Christ in you is the hope of glory. That's why Paul describes his mission, his ministry, not just as telling people about Jesus, we're not just trying to fill seats in here and have a crowd. That would be great, but that's not our goal. Verse 28 says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? That we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's what we're working towards. Not just taking a lot of the trash and putting it together in a clump. That would be my art if I had that, if that, I had that assignment. That would be all I could think to do. But no, the job isn't done until the trash has been transformed into beauty, until God's people are mature. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Hope might not be what you think. I'll tell you what, I hope the Steelers make the playoffs this year. And those that follow football know how weak that hope is this year. Or I hope it doesn't rain today while my family and I are at the beach. But we live in South Florida in the summer. It's probably going to rain. You know, we use that word hope to describe something that we wish would be true. Something we want to be true. Something that would be nice if it was true. But in the Bible, biblical hope is far better than that. In the Bible, hope is not something we wish was true. In the Bible, hope is something God promises to be true so that we can look forward to it, so we can live for it, expect it. Christ in you is not the wishful longing for glory. Christ in you is the promise that you will be renewed and transformed 
and made mature into something that brings honor to God as you let His Word and power reveal the mystery in you. I don't feel bad giving a spoiler of a movie that's been out for 15 or so years. So if you haven't seen Kung Fu Panda yet, I'm sorry to tell you, I'm going to spoil it for you right here. Kung Fu Panda is the animated story about Poe, the panda who wants so desperately to become a Kung Fu warrior, a master, but he's really not the type. But through an unexpected series of events, he finds out he's actually going to become the dragon warrior, the most powerful Kung Fu warrior in history. But throughout the movie, he's trying to get to the dragon scroll, which is impossible to reach. And the dragon scroll reveals the secret of becoming the dragon warrior. Once you read the dragon scroll, you become the warrior because it's got the secret and everybody wants to know that secret. And near the end of the movie, Poe manages to get the dragon scroll and with excitement, he opens it up and sees his own reflection. It's nothing. It's a shiny piece of paper and the disappointment that fills his heart. Nothing, that's it. I'm expecting this great mystery to be revealed, this great surprise, and I open it up and find out, it's me. Christian, the mystery, the secret that God has been working towards, building towards, is not something out there that you need to go get or do or understand. The mystery is you. It's Christ in you, that God in His grace take you and transform you and use you and give you his power that's the secret that's the mystery that's been revealed it's not something you need to find it's you god in his grace does that god's plan to amaze the world and to show off his power and to put his goodness and his wisdom on display his whole plan is to do something for you and in you that makes even angels drop their jaws in surprise and confusion and amazement. And that is possible not because you are amazing. Not because you are especially skilled or praiseworthy. It is Christ in you. The hope, the promise, the certainty of glory. Let us praise Christ in us, the hope of glory. Join me as we pray together. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the mystery long hidden but now revealed and made known through the preaching of the gospel, the mystery that is Christ in us, that you would transform sinners, rebels, enemies, gossips, addicted people. You would take us And by your word and by your grace in your power, transform us, mature us, and put us on display as examples of your power and your goodness. May we live up to that high calling, and we are certain we can do so, because it is not us that does it, it is Christ in us. We thank you in his name. Amen. Amen.